The text for our sermon this evening uh, uh, follows along the second servant song from Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the challenges for us Christians is, with the Old Testament in particular, and these servant songs, is to wonder how God's people, chosen people, the Jews, even today, do not see Jesus in these servant songs. How, they, how, how the Jewish people in Jesus' day, in the Old Testament, and even today, how they can read Isaiah 49, 1 through 13, and not see our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and being raised. That Jesus is the servant that all the prophets were speaking of. It's a mystery to us because the faith is, the, is a mystery. Why some believe and others we will never know. That's a secret only knowable to God. But indeed, the Jews, instead of seeing Jesus, the debate is always, what is the identity of the servant? Who is the servant that Isaiah speaks about in these servant songs? So today, as we reflect on Isaiah 49, we see that the servant, we see where the the work of the servant is being done, where the kingdom of God extends to. As this servant is working for a king, where is this king's kingdom? Where is his authority? Where is his power? Where is his protection? Where do we find that? Now, the Jews, as I mentioned, who do they think the servant is? The Jews actually think that the servant is their nation, their identity, the Jewish people. They say that the servant in all these songs is them, is the nation. But we're going to look at Isaiah 49 today and see how this specifically teaches us that it is Jesus, so that indeed we can be confident that Jesus fulfills all prophecies, and also for us in case we meet Jewish people or even others who don't see Jesus in these texts, and we can share with them the beautiful glory that the gospel is that Jesus has fulfilled all on our behalf. So in our text today, as we kind of click through it and go through these servant songs, we're going to see that the servant, first and foremost, is a man. This servant song teaches us the servant will have a body. He will have a mouth, a voice. But you see, for people to hear that the suffering servant, who will be God himself, perhaps, to then say that, as we read in verse 1 of this text, the servant will have a body. How in the world could God have a body? God, of course, in the Old Testament, we are told, is a spirit. So it's somewhat of a contradiction for an Old Testament ears to hear that this servant, you see there in the second part of verse 1, to be called from the womb, from the body of my mother. How can God, who is spirit, have a body? And indeed, in in addition to that, how is it that this servant, if he is true God, 
Why would he suffer? Why would he take upon a body? God is spirit. He is above suffering. But today's song in verse 1 teaches us that the servant will have a mother, which means he's going to be born. He will have flesh and blood. This verse helps us to argue against those who deny that the servant is one man. For those who think that the servant is the nation of Israel or whatever nation they want. Perhaps even Muslims might argue that Isaiah 49, that the servant of the Lord is is the nation of Islam. A political group of people. When the servant says he will have a mother and a body, only a fool would see this as just symbolic or a figurative body. So why is it necessary that the servant have a body and a mother? Well, because if we keep reading in this servant song, immediately in the next verse, we are made aware of why he needs to have a body. Because he's going to tell us how the servant will accomplish his work. You made my mouth a sharp sword. This servant will not accomplish the king, God's work, by power or by an army. Like we would typically think nations would take power and conquer the world and establish a kingdom. This servant accomplishes things by his word. You remember in in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, the author of Hebrews says the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. Swords are used to kill and defend. The servant will kill the enemies of God using his word, but that same word will also be a defense mechanism. The kingdom of the servant will be defended with that sword as well. Not with conventional weapons of war. This servant is going to work with his word. And as we hear the news about the war raging in in the Ukraine, and as we see a race and saber rattling between nations to say who has the most powerful weapons, to brag about your weapon as being your word, that seems silly. Where the rise and fall of nations rest on who can muster the greatest army, the most deadly weapon, words appear to be a foolish defense, not to mention what kind of an offense. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. But in 2 Corinthians 10, St. Paul reminds us, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly but are empowered by God for the destruction of strongholds. So this servant and his means of weapons, using his mouth as a sword, is not uncommon, and this is a theme that even the New Testament writers pick up on. This servant also knows how to move this kingdom forward by the word. But a king's word, a king's declarations and laws are only valid where this kingdom is located. That's why Isaiah 49's servant song is a unique servant song because it's going to talk about the location of this kingdom. I don't know about you, but I could really care less what the laws are in England, Iraq, or China. Their laws, their word of their rulers, that has no bearing on my day-to-day life. I could care less. They don't rule over me. 
But look at where the servant in this song says that God's kingdom will go. I will make you, if you look as we go through this, as you look at these passages, he says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. What kind of kingdom is this? Not limited by any geography, but is in fact contained in the whole earth. The work of the servant will extend over all borders. It will cover not just the earth, but the universe. Now, if you remember in Jesus' day, the Jews, they longed for the removal of the Romans. They were tired of being ruled over a an uncaring government, the Romans, the Jews, they just wanted their own nation. Even today, the nation of Israel, all they desire is to have their own piece of land. I would say they're aiming too low. The servant in the Old Testament, Isaiah's suffering servant, he will claim all land as the kingdom. The servant will claim everything. His reign and his word will be effective from coast to coast. You see this in verse 6 when God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations. God, God here says through the servant, he says, yeah, you're right in thinking that my kingdom only being for my people Israel, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. I'm the God of the universe. My kingdom will be over all the earth. My word will go out to all. And look how he continues. He says, kings shall see and arise. Standing up, God says, kings will stand up in my presence as when you enter a court, when a judge enters the courtroom and everybody stands. Isaiah continues, princes, princes who are, who are considered young and they stand strong. The servant says, they will prostrate themselves before me. They will lay with their faces to the ground. So it's no wonder if you recognize this, the way this verse ends, when it says, I will make you as a light for the nations. That should sound familiar to you. Because it's no wonder then when Simeon sees Jesus in the temple, when he sees Jesus being brought to the temple, and what does Simeon say? Well, he sings his Nuctaminus, and he quotes from this part of the servant song. He sees Jesus and he says, A light to lead the Gentiles, right? the nations, and the glory of the people Israel. So too, when we sing the Nuctaminus after we receive the Lord's Supper, we are saying the same thing that Isaiah was writing way back in chapter 49. And as Simeon, when he sees Jesus, even as a baby, he says, this is the suffering servant. Now, even though we don't see God's kingdom as strong, even though we don't see the church knocking down kingdoms and destroying strongholds in this life. God's kingdom is indeed strong. God comes here to give you forgiveness of sins because His Word is effective here. 
When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he defeated all enemies. When he was raised from the dead, even death, the last enemy, was destroyed. So yes, even today, God's kingdom comes to us. We are receiving the benefits of the work of the suffering servant. God's kingdom comes to you. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, where is the Lamb of God? Whose sins is he going to take away? Not just Israel, but he takes away the sins of the world. This idea of Jesus as a Savior for all people in all times and all days is not just part of the New Testament. It's buried in all these servant songs, and in particular, this one in Isaiah 49. And and remember, when Jesus, after Easter, when he's raised from the dead at the end of Matthew, he meets his disciples and he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you. The reign of God goes everywhere. Jesus doesn't use his authority to destroy us, but to baptize us. So where can you go to escape this sword of the servant? Where can you go to hide your sins? Is this servant's work, this sword that goes out from his mouth, the word of God, can you flee from it? Can you find any refuge from the law of God that accuses you of your most secret sins? You cannot hide. His sword cuts through all the defenses you may be set up. All the excuses we tend to make for our sins. Oh, I was tired. I was angry. I was lonely. I didn't know. There is no excuse for sin. There is no refuge for wickedness. This servant's mouth, his word, his sword pierces even between marrow and bone. So we're reminded by this servant song to not hide our sins, but to confess, to repent. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn you. You aren't commanded to confess and repent so that he can rub your sins in your face, but so that he can show you that his servant, when he died on the cross, took those sins away. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save not just Israel. But even in Isaiah 49, we are told to save the world, including you. The one who was with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he gave up the Spirit there on the cross so that we could have the Holy Spirit. He won the war against sin that we have lost so many times. In a time of favor, Look at what the servant says. In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. What a great God we have. Thanks be to God, we have a servant who has come not to be served, but to serve. So it makes sense then. You see in our second reading from Revelation, you see, maybe you didn't, You see why I picked this reading for this evening. 
It makes sense then, as John is given a vision of what God's kingdom looks like, it's all people, all nations. There are no borders. Even now, since Easter has been accomplished, it makes sense that John would see exactly what Isaiah prophesies in our reading today. Because the faithful servant has won the victory. Look at verse 9 and following in our servant song on the back side from Isaiah 49. Look how it begins in verse 9. And then following that servant song, and now see that John is taught by the elder. In the Revelation reading at verse 15, the elder who is teaching John quotes this servant song word for word. Let this bring you comfort. Whatever defenses you have put up, whatever excuses you have made, whatever sins, whatever pain causes you to cry and to be sorrowful, take heart today what Isaiah prophesied from from years before Jesus even accomplished it. God has always had your comfort in mind. Isaiah prophesies what Jesus will accomplish by his blood. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And his kingdom will have no end. And so God's kingdom will come to you wherever you are. What do we pray? Finally, we pray, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.